All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 22? The book of Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 uh, through verses 14. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to uh, in honor to the reading of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 22, 1 through 14. Uh, listen, we are getting ready to start a new series, and I'm excited. Uh, God is calling. I uh, had a great time sharing the Word uh, during our first service, and we believe God's going to uh, give us His wisdom and direction as we share with you. Genesis 22 begins. Beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Somebody want to say tested. tested? Amen. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. As a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. I don't know how many parents we have this morning here, but uh, if God were to ask me to go and sacrifice my children, I might have a difficult time. Some others of you are saying, oh no, I would offer mine up right away. Um, and so go and sacrifice him is what God is saying to Abraham. Verse 3, the next morning, Abraham got up early. How many morning, uh, morning people do we have here this morning? Any morning people? So some of you, how about night owls? Any night owls? All right, more night owls than, than morning people. Wow. And so listen, God asked Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac. And he didn't struggle that we know of written in the, in the word of God. He didn't, you know, lally around and just kind of like, what am I going to do? The next morning, Abraham got up early. That speaks of immediate obedience and commitment. It goes on to say he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. And then he chopped wood for the fire for a burnt offering and set out for, for the place that God had told him about. Verse 4, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And so Abraham, he had three days to travel, three days to think, three days to pray. Verse 5, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I, Isaac and I, will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and check this, and then we, say we, we will come right back. Listen, that is a statement of ultimate faith right there. We will come. Listen, God had asked him to sacrifice Isaac. God had asked him to put him on the altar. And yet Abraham is saying, we're going to worship and we're going to come right back. Verse 6, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself, he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, Father, we have the fire and we have the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Verse 8, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together, continued obedience. Verse 9, when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar with his hands, that was about to take out his son. Abraham also arranged the wood on it that was about to consume his son. He then tied up his son Isaac, tied him up with rope or whatever he had. He then laid, uh, laid him on the altar on top of the wood 
And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Go to verse 11. At that moment, the angel of the Lord, say the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, listen, uh, many have said that this is a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And so in that moment, God called him. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here, am I, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld him from me. This is another reason what ties in with the Christophany. The angel of the Lord is saying, you have not withheld him from me, even your son, your only son. Verse 13, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram. He saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed the ram as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Verse 14, Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. How many of you are glad that the Lord provides? Amen. He's Jehovah Jireh in your life. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for the reading of your word. Thank you that it's holy. Thank you that it's powerful. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling us and that you are speaking to us this day. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would reveal some things to us, that you would cause us to, to make sure that we use caution in our decisions and in all that we do, focusing on you. You are number one in our lives. Help us to keep it that way. In Jesus' name, God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. All right. So that, that is quite the text this morning. Uh, in fact, how many of you have read that before or, or have heard of it before? Most of us. All right. And so how many of you are familiar with the TV game show, The, the Price is Right? Anybody ever watch The Price is Right? So listen, I'm dating myself here, but I, I remember way, way back when, when Bob Barker was still hosting the show, and, and today I think there's a comedian called Drew Carey who is the current host, and if you recall, the goal of that game show was to get contestants to compete by guessing the prices of merchandise in order to, wish, to win cash and prizes. And so sometimes you would be guessing on the price of a can of soup. Other times it was a, a refrigerator or a washer, a car, or even a vacation package. Anybody good at that? Kind of guessing what the price of our, no, not no, a couple of you, all right? And so listen, the closer you got to the actual price, the better your chances to win. And so a couple of you would be like, I would be very bad at that game. I would not do well. A couple of you might do well. If you shop a lot, you see things. And so that is what it is. The price is right. But really, the most important part of that show, I feel, the most uh, exciting part, rather, was whenever they would call out a name of someone in the audience and say, Don, uh, you come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Brian LeClaire, uh, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Listen, I have never in my life seen people go so wild about hearing their name being called. 
Those contestants, in fact, they would jump up and down. They, they would scream. They would throw their arms all the way around. Uh, some of the women would even run down and bear hug uh, Bob Barker, give him a kiss on the lips or on the cheek, and some of the men got in on that too. Uh, crazy, crazy stuff, all by the calling of their names. See, hearing your name being called is a, big, a mixed bag, though. On, on the one hand, there's the rush that you might feel when you're anxiously sitting on the bench and you are hoping that uh, the coach actually calls your name. On the other hand, there's that feeling of dread that some of us feel when you're sitting in the, in the back of the classroom or in the back of the church hoping that uh, uh, the, the, to avoid eye contact so that the teacher doesn't call your name or so that the pastor doesn't use you in an illustration. And so it's kind of a mixed bag. But today, this morning, I want to ask the question, how would you, in your life this morning, how would you respond if God called your name? How would you respond if God called your name? See, in the Bible, God calls plenty of people by name. I've only found actually seven times where he calls out someone's name twice in a row, like Martha, Martha, or Saul, Saul, Moses, Moses. We're going to talk about those uh, in the upcoming weeks. Now, to have God call you by name is a pretty big deal. How many of you know that, that if God were to call you by name, that's a big deal? Because listen, in each instance, I believe that God wants and even sometimes demands the attention of the person he is calling. I said this in the earlier service. Sometimes uh, we think our kids have gone crazy. We, 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 give the, you know, we bring them into this world. We name them. And so there are times in life you, you go about your business and you need your kid to respond. You have something, a piece of furniture or something that you want to move. And, and you're like, Alex, come. Caleb, come. And there's no response. <laughs> Almost like they don't know their name. Anybody ever have that problem? You feel like... I went through all the trouble of naming them a perfectly good name and they don't know their name because they don't answer. But when God calls you by name, it's a pretty big deal. Very often what follows the calling of your name is almost always a life-changing encounter with the God of creation. If God is going through the trouble of calling you by name, of trying to get your attention, he wants to do something in your life. And so listen, for the next several weeks, I want to invite you to join us as we explore uh, some of the stories that you may be familiar with or maybe not. And I want us to see what happens when God calls your name. And the, the name of the series is God is Calling. And so this week, the first person that we're going to look at is Abraham, right? And so we know that having been called and chosen by God in order to become the spiritual and, and uh, physical father of a new nation, Abraham holds a completely unique and very special place in the history of God's people. You see, his name, the very name Abraham, it means the father of many, and that's exactly what we know him to, to have become and regarded as the patriarch. He was the father, uh, not only of Judaism, but also of Islam. We know that he's been connected directly to Christianity. We know that Abraham is very important to many of us. And yet Abraham, he never spoke a prophetic word. Abraham didn't write any of the books of the Bible. Abraham never recorded a psalm. He, he never gave us any laws. He, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He, he wasn't a prince. And yet Abraham was called a friend of God. 
a friend of God. He alone holds that honor in all of Scripture. Anybody want to be a friend of God? The events leading up to God calling Abraham's name are probably familiar to most of us. Uh, and yet it all starts off with a couple of crazy things. And so I want us to go back to our text. In fact, let's go back to verse 2 when God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. Who is he going to sacrifice? Isaac, his son. Uh, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now listen, anybody reading this for the first time, and I don't know when the last time was you read this story, um, anybody reading this for the first time would be shocked to hear this. I know way back when I was, I mean, I was like, what kind of God would demand a human sacrifice? It sounds like some kind of a, a pagan ritual or gruesome or nasty thing. But the wild thing is, and we have it on record, that Abraham actually, went along with it there's nothing to say that he hesitated in fact the opposite right in verse 3 we read that the next morning he got up early I'm not a morning owl I, I, I struggle with uh, I'm a morning person I'm a night owl and so I struggle with mornings but if God were to ask me to do something hard like sacrifice one of my children I might not be getting up early I might not be in a hurry to do this thing. And yet we read the next morning, Abraham got up what? Early. Early. He saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped the very wood that was going to be used for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place that God had told him to go. Listen, most of us have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. We just read it. In fact, we know that God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. How many of you know that? God never intended, even though he said God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. Why? Because God hates human sacrifice. God hates human sacrifice. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, we know that Moses actually warned the Israelites, when you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not, say not, not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never, ever sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. I believe Deuteronomy goes on to say that even God considers human sacrifice detestable. And so he, we know that uh, 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 in the Old Testament, it is riddled with similar commands against child sacrifice but Abraham didn't know that. Abraham, he, he didn't know that. In fact, Abraham's story takes place way before any of the scriptures were written. You've got to remember the, the, the Bible came later. The Torah came later. And here he was living this out, firsthand experience. He didn't know. He didn't have a reference of God hating this custom. In fact, Abraham, again, his story takes place before that. See, we know that Abraham came for, from a corrupt pagan culture where human sacrifice was actually very common. It was an everyday thing for people who worshiped other gods to sacrifice their children, to sacrifice people. And so listen, I am not sure this morning if there were any warning bells, any red flags that went off in Abraham's head telling him that this was crazy or telling him that this was wrong. But obviously he went along with it because he trusted God. 
See, Abraham, he had already given up everything to follow God. Abraham had already left his home so far away, his nation in the land of Ur, where God has call, had called him by name the very first time. He had packed up his family and all that he owned because this God, whom he never knew before, actually spoke his name and told him to move to the land of Canaan. And plus, God had promised to bless Abraham and assured him that he and Sarah would have a son even though she was barren, even though they were uh, uh, just uh, old in age. We know that eventually Abraham would have more descendants than there are stars in the sky or sand on the seashore. And so Abraham trusted God and God had always been faithful. How many of you know that God is faithful? God has been faithful in your life. Over the years, Abraham had formed a, a very close bond, a very close relationship with God. You see, they talked together. They listened to one another. They even argued at times. And listen, I don't know how many of you would admit this this morning, but I've argued with God. Yeah. I've given him a piece of my mind as if I could change his. But I know that's me. And yet Abraham, forming a close relationship with God, with all of those factors, through it all, Abraham had learned to trust God. And now that very same basic trust that was developed was being put to the test. In fact, that's just exactly what this whole thing was. It was a test. Say test. Anybody like tests here? I I don't know anybody that likes a test, really. Genesis 22 actually begins with these words. Go there, verse 1. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. God tested Abraham's faith. Again, if you've read the story, you know that Abraham passed the test. And so despite any human doubts that he may have had, we know that Abraham trusted and readily obeyed the Lord. See, our text tells us in verses 9 and 10 that Abraham led Isaac up to the mountain. He, again, he actually built the altar with his hands. He gathered the wood with his hands. Abraham tied up the, uh, his son with his hands. He put his tied up son directly on the altar and he quickly raised the knife to sacrifice his one and only son not questioning God's motives, not questioning what God would ask him, why God would ask him to do this. And that's when God calls Abraham's name twice. Let's go to verses 11 and 12. Again, not only once, but God calls his name twice. Verse 11, Abraham, Abraham. Verse 12, don't kill your son or hurt him in any way. Now I can see that you trust God and that you have not kept your son, your only son, from me. From me. Remember, when God calls your name, what he says next is probably going to have profound significance in your life. And certainly we know that that was true for Abraham. In fact, God's word here gives meaning to the whole experience. See, God was testing Abraham's trust in him. In essence, this is what God was saying by this experience, by what he was asking. God was saying, Abraham, are you willing to let go of the one thing that you love more than anything else in order to follow me? I want to say that again. Uh, uh, Abraham, are you willing to let go of the one thing that you love more than anything else in order to follow, 
follow me by requiring him, by asking him to sacrifice his son. That's what he's essentially he was saying. Remember, when God first called Abraham, the Lord had promised to give him a son and make him into this great nation. And so God had given Abraham Isaac. God had given him promises that were to be accomplished through Isaac. And we know that Abraham's relationship because of that with God essentially revolved around that promise until the birth of Isaac and we, plus uh, Abraham's joy. We know that his happiness, we know that his contentment in, in life came primarily from his son and, and the knowledge that Isaac would inherit all of God's promises. So I guess you could say that Abraham had focused on the gifts of God rather than the giver. Abraham had focused on the gifts of God rather than the giver. I have written here in my notes, children are sometimes that way. Uh, I shared this with the first service. Listen, I grew up poor, and so I always said, when I have, I want to be able to bless my children. And so sometimes the pendulum swings in an extreme way, right? I know I'm, I'm the only one it happened to. And so in my life, I, I didn't get a lot growing up. And so I showered my kids with things. And I remember, uh, I think I've shared before, the first Christmas with my oldest son, uh, Alex, that I got, you know, the whole living room had gifts stacked up to the ceiling, and he was a toddler. All right? And so that's how extreme I was. And so we kind of went through the process, and I was just like, why isn't he opening all these gifts? And we're kind of ripping him, but he's a toddler. And so, uh, um, you know, just kind of rushing him through. And uh, as they got older, that kind of continued. And I will say, I'm guilty of that. My wife tried to chill me out and say, you know, they don't even, they won't even remember the stuff that we're giving them. So settle down. Stop, stop buying all this stuff. One gift, probably. And you know, at that age, the, the, the wrapping paper is the gift, right? They love the wrapping, the colors, whatever's going on. And so I had no clue. I was diving all in and just giving that. And as a result, as they got a little older, we found that sometimes on birthdays on, and on Christmases, they got a little bit more focused on the gifts than on the giver. Any of you experience that? And I, listen, I'm totally convinced that sometimes in our lives, God will test our faith in him by asking us to give up the very thing that we love and that we think we cannot live without. I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss it this morning. The test will come if it hasn't already come, that God will test your faith in him by asking you to give up the very thing that we love and think we can't live without. And this morning you might ask, but why, Pastor Freddie? Why, why would God bless me with that relationship? Or, or God, why would God bless me for that thing? I, I prayed and I prayed and I, I fasted and I got that thing and I love that thing. And I'm in this relationship and I feel like God has blessed me with this relationship and it is awesome and good. And, and yet there will come a time when maybe God will test you. And ask you, are you willing to sacrifice it? Are you willing to surrender it? To give up the very thing? Listen, I know that it sounds cruel. You would ask maybe, why would God do this? See, uh, all that God really wants is, is our whole, our entire affection. See, God doesn't want to be your addendum to, to, to your plan. God doesn't want to be your plan B. 
God doesn't want to be, be an add-on. See, God deserves to hold first place in all of our hearts and lives if He is your Savior and your Lord. In fact, I'll say this, if He is truly your Savior and Lord, He should be number one in your life. Anybody remember VeggieTales? A couple of you, some of you. Some, of, uh, some grandparents are using it now. Some of us as parents use the videos and things. Well, Phil Vischer, the, the creator of VeggieTales, in his book, Me, Myself, and Bob, uh, he tells the story of the rise and the fall of his company. His company was called Big Idea, Inc. And from a young age, Phil had uh, loved God so much, and he had a lot of silly ideas in his head about how to share God with other people. And his dream was to create a product to share Christian values with, with children in a way that would be fun and entertaining. And, and some of you parents and grandparents, you might be able to quote or sing along with some of the silly songs uh, that are in the videos because he accomplished his goal. We know that his dream came to life through the funny animated VeggieTales series and and listen, the first episode was actually produced by only a few people who were working around the clock. And we know that at the time, it was actually sold through the mail on, on very low-budget VHS tapes. And, and yet we know years later that it was an instant or, or even a huge success. And so over the next few years, as Big Idea and was developing... Uh, we know that they had more than 300 people to develop each episode and, and the movies they came out one after the other. And then suddenly everything started to unravel. See, there are multiple factors that contributed to the company's downfall, but believe it or not, the end result uh, was bankruptcy and the auctioning off of Phil's dream. And in that moment, we know that Phil actually faced a crisis of faith. See, God had given him this wonderful thing, and then it looked like God took it away. And so he struggled with that for a long time, asking, how could God do this to me, or, or why would God do this to me? But after wrestling with questions like those for some time, we know that Phil found a quote from C.S. Lewis that put everything into perspective, and I want you to hear this this morning in his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes, he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God only. What, it, what does that mean, Pastor Freddie? Many of us, I think, have this unwritten mental agreement with God that, God, I will follow you as long as you don't ever let anything bad happen to me. I will follow you as long as you let me enjoy this thing that I have for the rest of my life. I will follow you as long as things remain the way I'm feeling blessed. I'm feeling happy. Life is all together. I love this. God, I'll follow you as long as things remain. Listen, that's a flawed idea. It's a flawed idea. In fact, I, I just saw a video on social media, and if you follow, if you're my friend on, on Facebook, you may have seen me post it. It went on to say, you see, if someone prays for patience, does God give him patience, or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If, God, if someone prays for courage, does God give them courage, or does he give them the opportunity to be courageous? Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. It would be so much easier if, ding, he gave you the thing you asked for. If someone prays for the family to be closer, 
Do you think that God just zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings, or does he give them opportunities to love one another? It's those opportunities that we struggle with. Because we would just love uh, on Thanksgiving when you have all the family over and you have that one person who always brings drama to your table. God zap them with love and fuzzy feelings. Let them not say anything stupid. I don't need drama at my table. It would be so much easier if God would zap people. If God would just that one thing. I need patience. Give me patience. I need courage. Give me courage. I need for my my family to get together and not fight and not have drama, just ding, ding, instant gratification. And yet the opportunities that we face in this life, God sends them our way. They, they require faith and a complete trust in God. And so no matter what happens to us, we will continue to praise and love God through it all. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in the Old Testament, Job, anybody ever read the book of Job or ever hear of Job? He, he faced some rough things in his life, didn't he? In the Old Testament, Job, he praised God when he had everything. And Job praised God when he lost everything. He praised God when he had everything. And he praised God when he lost everything. And so listen, the million dollar question for you is if, we, if you have nothing but God, is that enough? If you have nothing this morning but God, is, is that enough? Or if you lost everything, if you lost it all, would you still love God? See, Abraham's faith, it wasn't going to be complete until he could answer those questions, those hard questions, honestly. And these types of hard questions can only be answered through action and through experience. So, and so the hard question for us as a whole this morning, you're full of hard questions, Pastor Freddie. I don't know if I like this. The hard question for you is, what's your Isaac? What's your Isaac? No, seriously, what is it? Is there something in your life right now that has taken the place of God? Is there something in your life right now that has taken the place of God? Is there something or someone that is more important to you right now than God? And is God calling your name right now to test you in order to deal with it right now? What's your Isaac? Listen, it may be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, could be a child, as it was in Abraham's case. Uh, did you know that, that a person or family can become an idol in your life? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. A person or even family, if you put anything before God, what is that thing? An idol. And so maybe it's a, a company or a career like it was for Phil, Phil Vischer. Uh, it may be a house. It may be a ho hobby. It may be a habit. It could be an addiction. It could be a secret sin that you turn to when you're angry or alone. But whatever it is, I want you to know this morning, prepare for God to, to test you if he has not already. And listen, when God tests you, it's not like taking the, a, uh, the, AC, the ACTs or the SATs. It's not like God wants you to to have a certain score because it's not that kind of a test. And I want to explain that to you this morning. Our text talked about Abraham being tested. 
And so that term testing, it has, a, it has an interesting word origin. We know that the word testing is commonly used by silversmiths in ancient times when testing the purity of precious metals like silver was important. They needed to know what was real and what was not. They needed, they needed to know how, much, how pure something was or how impure it was. And so the silversmith would literally put all of this silver into a big pot and heat it up with fire. What do you think happened to that silver when you heat it up? It melted. Once the silver got hot enough and it melted, all of the impurities, listen, we're talking about testing. When the heat is applied, when there is heat applied to a situation, when there is heat applied to a life, all the impurities rise to the surface. The dross is what it's called when it comes to silver. And so the junk would rise to the surface and the silversmith, if he was a good silversmith, he would take a tool and he would swipe off the top of that melted silver and remove the junk. But he couldn't remove the junk until the fire was applied. He couldn't remove the junk until it went through this process. And, and, and then he would do it again and again until the silver was tested or pure. And so finally, the only way he knew how to test the silver or that it was pure was by looking down into the pot and seeing his own reflection. See, when the junk is on top, the silversmith couldn't see his reflection. When there were impurities in the way, when there was junk and garbage in the way, there wasn't the reflection that was there that was there once the junk got removed. And so listen, that is what God did with Abraham. God tested Abraham by turning up the heat, by challenging his faith. And in the process, the Lord removed any impurities from his life. James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4 puts it this way. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. There's that word again. An opportunity for great joy. Verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, say tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Your faith must be tested. You must be tested. In that test, the heat must be applied. In your situation, that heat must be applied. It is not comfortable. It is not easy. It is not always welcome. But if you want to be tested to come out pure, the heat must be applied. God tested Abraham's faith in order to perfect him, make him complete. If you want to be more like Jesus, the test must come. God wants to do the same in your life and in my life. In fact, just as the silversmith looked down on the pot of silver in hopes of seeing his reflection, I believe that God will test our faith and he allows us to go through trials. He allows us to go through troubles in hopes of one day looking down on us and seeing his reflection in your pot, in your life. The truth is, as God looked down on Abraham, getting ready to prepare to sacrifice his only beloved son, Abraham never looked more, than God, never looked more like God than he did in that moment. In fact, every single thing that God put Abraham through was actually a reflection 
of what God would later do himself. For instance, both Isaac and, and Jesus were children of promise. Uh, we know that uh, 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 both Isaac and Jesus are described as the only begotten son of their respective fathers. And so I Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice as he and Abraham walked the lonely path up the mountainside. And Jesus likewise carried the cross on his shoulders as he walked up that hill to Calvary. Some historians even speculate and others even believe that, that the hill where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac is, the, is in fact the very same hill where Jesus was crucified and just as Jesus was raised from the dead three days later we know that Abraham received his son back from certain death after three days journey see Abraham didn't even realize it at the time but he passed the test because God saw his reflection in Abraham's actions I really love the way the story ends I want you to go to verses 13 and 14 again Genesis 22, 13 and 14. After God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, the Bible says, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its thorns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. I know this may seem petty. Anybody ever read that and think, why in the world did he use a ram instead of a lamb? Why did he ever, why did he use a ram? God provided a ram instead of a lamb. Listen, we know that Jesus was the lamb of God. We know that Jesus is also considered the Passover lamb. And so why wouldn't God provide a lamb? Apparently that's part of the reflection too. See, young, young sheep are, are lambs. They're called lambs. Adult female sheep are called ewes. Castrated male sheep are called weathers. And intact, not castrated, adult male sheep are called rams. They're untouched, unscathed. Like the ram that God provided for Abraham, Jesus was an adult male. Just as the ram was intact and without blemish, we know that Jesus was sinless. We know that he was the perfect adult male lamb of God. And so he was only, the only one qualified to be our perfect sacrifice too. Verse 14 goes on to say, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still uh, use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. See, Abraham really and literally he put God first. Like I said earlier, I don't know how many of you could offer your son, your grandchild, something precious to you. He, Abraham didn't hold back. He got up early. He made preparations. He didn't hold back. He gave everything. And so God not only gave Abraham his beloved son back, but he also provided a substitute sacrifice forever cementing in Abraham's heart that promise that the Lord will provide. How many of you know that the Lord will provide? The Lord will provide. Jesus assures us of that very same thing in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, where it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, whatever it is you're holding back from God and whatever it is you're clinging to so tightly, 
If, say if. If you let go and put God first and seek Him first, then the Lord will provide everything else. Worship team, come. Whatever it is you're holding back from God, whatever it is you're clinging to so tightly, if you let go and put God first, seek Him first, then the Lord will provide everything else. God has provided for you already. How many of you believe that? God has provided for you. Listen, if you, if you have ears to hear this sermon, if you have a car or feet that brought you to church today, and if you have the stamina to sit through one of my sermons, you already have grace upon grace, and God rarely stops there. See, the Lord wants to lavish His love on us. He really does. God always provides for the ones He loves and for those who love Him, but He never wants us to lose sight of the real treasure and the real reward, which is God himself. Would you stand to your feet? Listen, when God calls your name, when God calls your name, it's a big deal. And so if God is calling, you have to know that he wants your attention. He demands your attention. In fact, he has a plan for your life. And the stuff that happens to you is actually an opportunity for transformation on the inside of you. Listen, God is calling you right now whether you believe it or not. God is calling you right now. God is calling you by name. See, in fact, I strongly believe that God is calling us by name every single day. He wants you to draw closer. He wants you to surrender more. He wants you to worship deeply. He wants true intimacy with all of us in every single area of our lives. And I really think that Abraham's experience teaches us that our faith, your faith, my faith will never be complete. Our faith will never be perfect until God alone is enough. Is God alone enough? Or until God holds first place in our hearts and until the Lord sees his reflection in our face. I don't know, maybe there's something or someone in your life that's taken God's place, but listen, today if you're ready to lay down your Isaac and sacrifice just like Abraham, I want to invite you to do that. And maybe that means giving your life to Christ for the first time. Maybe that, that means rededicating yourself to the Lord because he hasn't been Lord in every area. Whatever that means for you, I want you to know this morning that you can trust God with your Isaac. He may give him back or he may even give you something or someone better. Either way, he will always provide for those who seek him first. And so listen this morning. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you. We should be searching our hearts. Lord, to be more like you. To be more like you. To serve you in every area. To know that you are first in every area. I want to make sure that that is happening in my life. So I'm going to invite you to this altar. I want to, there's only a few of us. I want to invite you to come. Move out of your seat. Come even now as I'm speaking. I want us to take time. He's offered us amazing grace. He's offered to work in your life. He's offered to help you. 
He wants to see his reflection in you. What's your Isaac this morning? I don't have one, Pastor Freddie. Do you know that for sure? Are there any idols in your life? Are there any things, people, that you place before God? Listen, I don't want to make it uncomfortable. I don't don't want to force you to come, but I really believe that if you mean business with God and that if you want to search your heart, it's an awesome thing to be before the Lord and say, God, search my heart. Search my heart. Is there anything or anyone that I place before you? And so I'm going to turn around because I'm going to come, but I'm going to invite you to come and be around these altars, to move out of your seat. Out of your seat is a step of faith. Out of your seat is saying, God, I don't know. I, I, th- I, I think I'm good with you, but I don't know. I, I want you to check me. I want you to check inside my heart. I want you to check inside my life. I never want to place anyone or anything before you. And so we invite you to come. Come, move out of your seat as the worship team leads us.